And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT The Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT The Brick. JT with you, hour number two of the show on a victory Monday as the Raiders beat the Eagles yesterday in a solid performance at home. It's the second win for new head coach Rich Passaccia, and we're celebrating that as the Raiders go into the bye week. Uh, this is my last hour of the week. I'll be on Sirius XM tonight, then off till next Monday. I'll be back here next Monday as we gear up for the game against the New York Giants and build up for that entire week and get back into the system as the Raiders deserve some much-needed time off. Much-needed time off as they sit at 5-2, and two, tied for first in the AFC. I like that. I look at the record overall in the AFC, in the AFC West. That is fantastic. Uh, big news today, Deshaun Watson is now open to trade destinations outside Miami as the Carolina Panthers emerge as an option now I think this would be a great fit for him also I think Deshaun Watson's a great quarterback I mean super elite not elite super elite and again he's got personal issues in his life and he's got lawsuits pending I don't know what's going to happen but typically and again I'm not a lawyer but typically the lawyers settle this the NFL will come in with their ruling he'll serve a suspension and then he'll be able to play football for another 15 years he's a young kid and he is great his legs and his arm strength, his decisions outside the pocket and his athletic ability. So if he's able to play football in the NFL, and some people think that will happen, he's going to be an asset to a team, but it could be a bumpy road for a while. So Watson, who has a no-trade clause in his contract, is willing to consider multiple options for a new team, according to ESPN. Multiple teams are interested in Watson, although his interest is joining the Dolphins. That's the worst-kept secret in the NFL. It's been Miami. The Dolphins remain a strong contender to land Watson in a trade, but he'll consider other options if the Dolphins think the deal is too rich. The Texans also want to maximize Watson's trade value. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle said over the weekend that they are not going to budge at all on three first-round picks. So you have to give up three first-rounders and then maybe more. But we're not talking about the first, second, third pick overall. It could be a 12th pick, an 18th pick, three first-rounders. There could be some late first-rounders here. So the growing expectation is Carolina would be the team that would come in now. Carolina was a serious suitor early in 2021 before the sexual assault allegations against Watson surfaced. The Houston GM Nick Casario wasn't engaging with teams at the time. The Athletic first reported the Panthers – Renewed interest in Watson. The NFL trade deadline is November 2nd coming up here at 4 p.m. Now, the problem for the Panthers is they traded second, fourth, and sixth-round draft picks to the New York Jets this past April for Sam Darnold, and he struggled in a big way. Uh, Darnold was benched in this early in the fourth quarter Sunday. He'll be the starter there, but this is a big storyline. So I think Miami... Philadelphia, Miami, Philadelphia, and obviously Carolina are those teams. Hey, I'm thrilled to talk to Harry Weiss, who's kind enough to join us. Harry is one of the Latino voices of the Raiders, has a sports talk show here with the Raiders at the Portis in our building on 1460 AM, and I always see him in the press box 
and at the Black Hole Tailgate. Harry, good to see you yesterday. Thanks for coming on. JT, it's always a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Did it feel good yesterday when I saw you at the Black Hole and the fans were good? We knew there were going to be Eagle fans as you and I take that walk from media parking often together and we see the opposing fans. I didn't think it was as big as Chicago. How did you gauge the turnout by the Eagle fans? Oh, man, it's always being out there at the tailgate. I mean, I didn't go out there for the first two games. I wore a suit and tie, so I would be sweating like crazy. (laughs) But now that the weather's a little bit better, of course I was out there at the tailgate, being out there with my brothers and sisters from the Raider Nation. A lot of people that I know from Oakland, from L.A., people from Mexico came out for this game, and they had a, a blast. They had a great time. So it was amazing. And, yeah, I didn't see as many fans from the Eagles asked from the Bears, and you know what? They were all with negative thinking. I was asking them for their prediction, and they all told me they thought the Raiders were going to win. So I was like, damn, they're here to boo the Raiders, but also their own team. Yeah, you knew they were going to show up, and the Chicago fans did, and Philly travels well. These are fans who aren't going to get a chance for maybe another eight years to come to Allegiant Stadium to see their team. I I thought it was a testy game early, Harry. The Raiders trailed 7-0 and then Carr threw the interception. With all of that happening... I was a little bit concerned about another slow start, but then they went on that 30-point uncontested run. What did you see with the team and how they were able to pull that off? JT, something that a lot of people don't remember is that at the two-minute warning, this game was still a very, very close one. I mean, the Raiders weren't able to take the lead until after the two-minute warning with Josh Jacobs' run. It was a 7-7 game, and then that Big-time fumble by Quentin Jefferson, and he stripped the ball. Jonathan Abram got it back. That was the game that, in my opinion, changed the game. The Raiders took a two-possession lead into halftime, and that's where everybody went from being like, oh, God, are we playing to the level of our competition to being like, okay, we're in a better spot right now. Hopefully we start better in the second half, and boy, did they. They took advantage of Philadelphia trying to be too aggressive. Alec Ingold, one of the smartest guys on this team, he was able to get that onside kick. The Raiders went on and scored touchdowns in consecutive drives and put that game on ice. It was a game that it was a tough first half, but the Raiders never saw themselves panic. They were able Mm -hmm. to know that the defense was going to keep them in this. Harry Ruiz is our guest. Raiders Spanish Radio, also Deportes right here in Vegas, 1460 a.m. Harry, I thought it was important that the team played well and composed especially on the offensive line. These last couple of weeks got to the point where the Raiders were now going deep on that depth chart, and then the game in Denver where Carr was able to throw deep on all those deep completions, and then this game has one of the greatest percentage games, second greatest game all time. He can't do that unless the offensive line steps up. What did you see? Absolutely, and not only D.C., but you could see Kenyon Drake's and Josh Jacobs' stats go up the number of touches was over 20 and the yards was nearly 150 and each one scored a touchdown both against the Broncos where they had three combined and yesterday against the Eagles where they had two combined. So this offensive line keeps growing and I know a lot of people are getting desperate with Greg Olson and in the past John Gruden saying we need to see this same group of five guys get together and get used to being next to each other. And now we see why they were saying that. It's working for the Raiders. Colton Miller right now is yeah. that is a leader of this unit, and they're getting better every game. And that, the, the rest of the league, you got to get scared about that because if this offensive line goes back to that, that level that the offensive line of the Raiders had a couple of years back with those leaders we used to have, the league is in trouble. Harry Ruiz is our guest. So let's talk about you. Tell everybody about yourself, your show, what you do on game day as a play-by-play voice, how you got into this business, and how you became a part of Raider Nation. What's the story? 
So I used to be – so I'm from L.A., and everybody in L.A. has a crazy uncle who's a Raider fan. And for me, it's my Tio Panda, my Uncle George down there from East L.A. He made me a Raider fan, and I am so thankful about it. He took me to my first games. My first one was in South Oakland in San Diego, and then up in Oakland I went plenty of times and had a blast. I used to be a sports broadcaster in Mexico. I used to do play-by-play for basketball. Then I moved to the States, and I did college football and basketball in Spanish, and it was amazing. And now being in Vegas, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I could, I would be able to call games for – 31 other teams, but there's one I want to do it for, JT, and it's the silver and black. It's the Raiders, man. I feel it in my in my in my heart. Yeah, I, I love this. I love dreams. I love individuals who get into radio and accomplish their goals. And tell us about the Latino broadcast, because you and I were out at the Black Hole Tailgate, and one of the ladies brought me aside and talked about how much she loves you and what you do and your show that's here in town. And let's plug that and talk about the connection you're making with Raider Nation, not only in Vegas, but those who are streaming you and the ones who get, get a chance to hang out with you at the game. Yeah, I mean, I got people listening to the show from Mexico, from all over the states, Colombia, Argentina, Guatemala, every, everywhere, Central America, South America, all the way to Spain. And it's amazing the reach that the Raider Nation has, has and that it's something that doesn't have borders, man. It's incredible. And, yes, we have the first Spanish show 100% dedicated to the Raiders here in Deportes Vegas, 1460 AM. Lotus, thank you so much. Jesse, Dane, Tony, Everybody that has helped me out with this project, it has been amazing. It's It was our seventh episode today, and we go Mondays and Fridays, noon to one. I got to compete against the best, but to be the best, you got to beat the best. So uh, it's been a great ride. And I also got social media, at La Nacion Raider, the Raider Nation, but in Spanish. All in Spanish, all about the Raiders, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So I try to provide something for the Raider Nation that speaks in Spanish because I've always said that fan base is hungry for content. And now that I'm here, that I'm at the home of the Raiders, I said, you either put up or shut up. So I'm trying to do that for the Raider Nation. Harry Ruiz, this is so good, and I really believe this. How big is this Latino, Spanish-speaking radio audience around the world? How, how broad is this fan base all around the world, south of the border? When you see the numbers, you know who's out there, and you talk to other people around the world. This is a big part of the Raider Nation. It's always been big. It's been Enormous. It's been huge. I was talking with Greg Townsend on Friday over there at the Fred Letnikoff Foundation Crab Fest, and he was saying, I'm from the CPT, and over there I got all my Latino brothers and sisters, and it's a huge community, and I know that in Mexico it's huge, and it's so true. I was down in Mexico for the two times the Raiders played at Azteca Stadium. In 2016 against the Texans, I went out there as a fan, and boy, did I have fun. And then in 2017, I went there working for Telemundo, uh, covering the game, and I didn't have as much fun because I was working, but at the same time just seeing everybody all the activities they did it was incredible and JT this team it was the first team with the Latino head coach to win a, a Super Bowl Jim Plunkett winning it too as a Latino quarterback it has broken barriers and of course the Raider Nation family you see the Dodgers mm-hmm. they're the team with the most support from Latinos why because of Fernando and the Raiders it's the same case so this team it's one of a kind Awesome. Let's talk about the remaining portion of the schedule coming out of the bye week. So if we look at the bye week into the Giant game and then after that, Raiders at 5-2, and two, what are you concentrating on your show with? Where do Raider fans have to stay grounded looking at this? Because today's a celebration and a bye week and a time for the players at least to turn it off for a couple of days. But for the fans, what are you most optimistic about? 
So I always say just focus on being 1-0 and every week. Don't look ahead of what's next. The Raiders, they couldn't focus on their bye week, on who's going to get healthy, or on the New York Giants. They had to focus on the Philadelphia Eagles, and they did it. Now it's time to focus on getting some guys healthy. Fortunately, we got these two weeks to get Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller back in shape, and hopefully some guys off the IR, especially Trayvon Mullen Jr. I would love to see him back, even though uh, Faison and uh, they've been doing a good job. Mm -hmm. But I want to see Mullen back. He's our future in that position. Casey Hayward, he's a stud. But we got to focus on getting healthy this week, that it's the bye week, and then the Giants. You can't start looking up at the Chiefs that they're doing. They got a negative record that the Raiders are going to go into their game in Week 10 with a better record than the defending division and conference champs. They can't look at that. Focus on going 6-2, and two, and then you can start thinking about that game against the Chiefs. One game at a time, JT. You got it, my friend. Let's make it a habit of doing this every couple of weeks when you wrap up your show. Come in and sit in with us on Monday right around now. We'd like to get you in the rotation. Por supuesto, Juan. You know it, brother. Thank you, my friend. All right. Appreciate it. There he is. Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of Raider Nation. And uh, he has a show. And go, go listen to it. If you're Latino and you want to hear the show and you want to hear Harry give his analysis, it's right on 1460, Monday, Friday, from noon to 1. All right, we get an opportunity to go out to the facility where Rich Passaccia is meeting the media. This is the Raider press conference at the Raiders stream online for television also. Let's hear from the head coach. It's a problem. Uh, you want me to start? Well, we have time? We're good? All right, I'll just um, – Give you a few notes and maybe that'll help as we get going into the questions. Just first of all, for us, um, it all starts with the ball. You know, we ended up plus one in the turnover margin. Um, certainly overcame the interception, which Derek rarely throws. And and uh, and then we had the two on defense. Certainly one critical one in the red zone uh, gave us a chance to stop them from getting any points. And then right before the half, got the ball to plus thirty, gave us a chance to get points again before the half, two weeks in a row. Um, explosive plays on offense started with Zay Jones on the sideline. Obviously, the big catch that Foster had um, for the touchdown going in there. And then the combination of Josh and Kenyon getting going as a one-two punch uh, we thought was really effective for us in the game. The other explosive play that was big in the fourth quarter, the 29-yard play to Alec Ingold kind of got us out of the – backed up a little bit and gave us a really good field position to kind of finish out the fourth quarter. Um, the offensive line protecting Derek, no sacks, 31 of 34. Um, and then also the offensive line allowing us to get the run game going with some uh, efficiency we thought was helpful for us in the game. And then towards the end on offense, how Derek and, and uh, Coach Olson managed the clock um, in the fourth quarter was, you know, was really beneficial to us. Preventing explosive plays on defense. Um, again, I talked about the two critical turnovers, what they gave us there. And then pressure on the quarterback all day started with Unique and certainly the rest of the front seven guys, the way that Max keeps coming. I think there was uh, maybe double-digit hits on the quarterback. And that was the guy we knew, you know, we had to keep in the well, try to keep in the pocket. He's an effective player, extends third down, extends plays all the time. I think Yannick ended up two sacks, two PBUs. He was hard to block all day. Um, and I thought we really tackled well in space. Coach Bradley thought that was going to be a big concern coming in. So our defensive backs did a heck of a job with that, as well as our linebackers. Um, we gave up the drive, you know, to start the game. It wasn't a very good kickoff. 
we didn't get the depth that we wanted on the kick, and I thought we gave them field position uh, that was really uncomfortable for us. And then we'll uh, we'll talk about and, and work at over time, you know, how we can get better on that first drive. So, but other than that, we're favorable field position a little bit, certainly from our defense from the turnovers was big. And then the you know, explosive play, Alec Engold starting the second half with the getting up the hot kick and now putting the ball at the 50 again. As we got going, the rest of the formula for us is getting into the fourth quarter, having a chance to win the fourth quarter. We traded touchdowns for field goals a little bit, but we were playing from ahead. thought our defense did a good job, again, of tackling in space, making them use a bunch of their clock, making them use their timeouts. And then the big field goal uh, by Daniel after we missed the PAT, um, it puts us back up three scores. It was big in the fourth quarter for us. And then um, Foster going out there, we did not get the onside kick a week ago. Foster went out there and got the onside kick this week. Again, we chewed a lot of clock, punted the ball down to the eight. And I think there was two minutes, six seconds to go um, when we put the defense back out there from the eight-yard line. And then that's when you saw the rushing cover uh, connect. And then Anik getting a big sack at the end and, and um, closing it out for us. Uh, field possession-wise, position-wise for us in the game. The turnovers were critical, as I've alluded to earlier. And then the big punt return after they got the penalties, got backed up a little bit. Um, they had the punt, and Hunter gets a 15-yard punt return to the 50. We turned that into points as well. Really well done on field position. I talked about Alec, the play to start the second half, which, again, second half drive, two weeks in a row, ends up in points. And then, you know, certainly the, uh, the one bad field position we had with the ball being – fair caught on the four-yard line, you know, that's a six-minute, 96-yard drive, took up 10 plays, um, certainly was big force in the game for our offense to be able to do that. Um, and then we had no pre-snap penalties for the first time in a long time in the game. That was good for us. We need to clean up some of those judgment penalties. They're a little bit aggressive on our part. I think we can do a good job of cleaning those up. And uh, I'll answer any questions that you may have. Rich, going back to uh, Alex onside kick recovery, um, <clears throat> how much of that is, can you practice it in your regular set? Um, and how much are you aware of that possibility? It doesn't happen very often, but normally, like Foster's onside kick, you probably prepared for it and sent your hands team out there. But to start a second half, that probably isn't the case. How is it stressed in practice? Yeah, I mean, actually, well, we work it every Friday, but, um, you know, it actually was little bit stressed. We were, we were playing ahead, certainly coming out second half. We were going to get the ball. So, you know, we talked about possibly that's one of the ways they could steal a possession. So if you notice, Alec kind of moved a little bit um, towards his foot side a little. And just um, I think if the front line always feels like they're always going to kick the ball as a surprise kick, they won't be surprised when it comes. So it was just really well done. Well done by Alec. Yesterday, uh, Kenyon Drake said that before the season, you all had a, a team meeting focused on mental health. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember that meeting, but if you do, what do you remember about it? And, and you know, in retrospect, how is how is that kind of you know focus on mental health and and, and you know the man part of, of this as well as the football part help prepare you all as a team for, for what ended up happening? Well, I think you know obviously we take mental health very serious around here, and and um, we have great leaders in that department with certainly Max and certainly with Darren Waller and the things that um, he's done for our teammates and certainly for our organization. So I, I always give those guys, you know, there's part of our meetings, like I've talked about before, they can come upstairs or we can have it in our meetings that we're in and, and um, just let them know that we're all available for them at any time. We can talk about everything from a lot of guys have kids, a lot of guys have um, things going on off the field. So when it's time to talk about football, we can deal with football. When it's time to talk about maybe some issues they may have or things they have, we're going to have a great support system 
system for that, but the coaches as well, we are a part of that support system. We're, a lot of us are older guys, and we've been through some issues, so we'd like to think that we could possibly have some wisdom to share with them. Pitch, you've only been a head coach for two weeks, but can you talk about Ron Miles? He's had a, a tremendous impact on this team and hasn't got a lot of attention. Can you talk about him, please? Yeah, I mean, Ron's had a tremendous impact on on me as well, not only that, but he's a big sounding board for me, a guy I can go visit with. But also, you know, the continuity he has with Gus and the rest of those guys on defense. And, and um, you know, he's been through a lot of big games. He's been through a lot of um, difficult situations. Uh, and I think the man that Ron Miles is, is what's really coming across to the players in his room. He has a tremendous care for players. He has a tremendous care for the game of football and how it all fits. So I think he's approached his players as um, a guy's Let's make sure we're all on the same page, but also you can come and talk to me again about issues you may have outside of football. When we're in the room about football, here's how I can help you become what you want to become as a player. So, um, again, the whole defensive staff, but, again, you asked about Ron in particular. He's also been a big help to me as well as being a sounding board, being able to go with him with some questions or problems I may have. So, Do you have any update on uh, one that's about three players, Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, and John Simpson? Um, right now uh, – Josh Jacobs ended up with a chest contusion, so um, he should be fine. We didn't think there was any issues with him today. He had a good workout today. Darren Wall is going to kind of be day-to-day -day with treatment. Um, other than that, there is no break or anything that we know of there. He's going to stay around all week and get treatment. And then um, John right now, we're still in evaluation process with him, but he was walking around okay. Um, we'll see how the next few days goes. He's going to stay here as well and get treatment this week. My weeks can be a little bit tricky, and sometimes coming off them can almost set the tone for what happens the rest of the season uh, after that. Um, how much emphasis are you putting on on, on that, and, and where do you draw on to, to maybe handle your first bye week uh, as a head coach? Yeah, I think you know this this team and coaching staff's been really grinding for a while. You know, we had a big. Um, stretch before the opening game and we, we kind of all worked through it the players worked through it and then we had the multiple Monday night games and, and uh, we had short weeks there so I think the message for the bye week is, is for the players to get rest be really smart and run you know I think what they do when they're alone is really going to show up the most we come back together they understand the schedule for when they come back next Monday and what it's going to look like when they start practice again on Wednesday so um, we'll just see how it works for us but we feel like we have a schedule in place that hopefully can be advantageous to us. Of course, uh, Darren Waller obviously has a very big emphasis in the office, but he was out yesterday and it seemed like everything just worked as efficiently as if he was playing. Would you say this is the deepest group of pass catchers that you have since you've been with the team? Well, it's certainly a, a talented group, everyone from the receivers to the tight ends, and then obviously, you know, what we did, what we've done with the running backs. Um, certainly, Josh and Jalen had two big catches in the game, both over there on the boundary, which were tough catches and tough throws. And then, you know, Kenyon's been a good receiver for us. So it is a talented catching group for us. And as far as, you know, Darren being out, um, it happened kind of so late in the, in the week that he ended up not being able to play for us. I just think it was, you know, Foster's been in that role before, and uh, just a couple more balls came his way. But I think they all understand that um, Derek is going to, share the, the ball around according to what he sees from the defense. Um, and I just, it is a talented group and hopefully we can just keep improving. We've got some players on injured reserve that are going to be eligible to come off here pretty soon. Um, Richie, Trayvon, uh, Damon Arnett, any kind of updates on, on, on those guys? The only thing I can say is we're shooting, you know, for past the bye week. I don't think it'll be the game after the bye week. They're all on a little bit different schedule. So, um, but I think there, there is progress being made by all. And we'll, we'll see how that goes over the next, you know, three to five weeks. Rich, yesterday uh, Derek talked about how he had to remind himself 
to have fun when he's on the field. And he wrote himself a note and underlined it, just have fun. For you, are you having fun right now? And how do you, how would you just describe Oh, yeah, I'm out, me personally, I'm out of time in my life. I mean, I, you know, I, I've told those guys time and time again, I have three priorities in my life. I have my wife, I have my children, and I have the players. So that's the same thing when I was just doing special teams and it hasn't changed here. And, I, you know, I, I, we end a lot of the meetings at the end, night before the game, is you just got to try to find a way to have more fun than you've ever had before. And sometimes in this league, the only way to have fun is to win games, you know. So um, that's part of it. You know, there's a grind to practice. There's a grind to the meetings. There's a grind to the walkthrough. So I always encourage them to keep their self-talk good. There's enough people talking the other stuff. But, um, you know, Derek is a is a guy that um, he's extremely focused, he's extremely um, in practice, it's, he's extremely intense in practice. And so I think I understand that what he's trying to do for himself. But um, again, only way in this league to have fun is really you have to find ways to win games. Rich, I, know you, I know you focus in on the day-to-day uh, more so than looking ahead. Can you just say it a little louder, please? So I know you focus more on the day-to-day than, than looking ahead or big picture stuff, but just kind of reflecting on the first half of the I guess you, you know, it's not technically half with the, with the 18 or 17 game schedule now, but reflecting on before the bye week um, this season, what's been your evaluation of how to? Yeah, again, I just feel like you know, we just put it, we just put it to rest. To be honest with you, we just put the the last game we played to rest, and we're going to talk about the rest that they're going to get. We're going to talk about their ability to to keep getting themselves in supreme physical condition, and then when we come back, we'll be um, preparing all we can possibly for the, you know, the New York Giants, and um, that's just really the lane we're going to stay in. Is this, a good, is this a good time for the bye week to happen? I mean, you've had a lot to process the last couple weeks, but you're also, you have a ton of momentum going right now. So is, is it a good time for it? It's, this is the time they gave us for the bye week. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to do exactly what we need to do to get ourselves prepared for the next game going through the bye week. There he is, Rich Passaccia. I love that answer at the end. This is when they gave us the bye week. That's who he is. He's not going to sit there. He's not going to give you a conversation about the bye week should have been able to be given here or there. He's not about that. He just wants to take care of business one week at a time. One week at a time, and I like that. I think it's going to be a nice change for these players, a different voice. No one expected to see what happened with Coach Gruden. It did. He's out. Coach Passaccia steps in, and he's doing a nice job. And the coaches and him are on the same page, and that is fantastic. And it's supposed to be that way. These are professional football coaches who get paid to be at their best constantly. They get paid to be at their best. They don't play the games. They coach the games. And they have to be at their best so they can give all their advice the tool, tool to the players and have the players ready. And he's able to do that. And he does it in a calming voice. And everybody seems to be in a great place heading into the bye week. I am. I hope you are. There's been a lot of years I haven't been in this situation. It's been really hectic. The team has struggled. And i got to do radio show after radio show with fans who are pissed off and wanting to see a better team. This team needs to get better. They have a lot of work in front of them, but today we're celebrating the bye week and the win. Put it back-to-back, and then we'll come back on next Monday and get right into the game plan again with all of our insiders, our special guests, Plunkett, Flores, the Raider insiders that we have on, uh, some of the giant guests that I'm working on to preview the Giants. Bobby did a hell of a job last week. When you look at the Philadelphia guests we had on, are you kidding me? Howard Eskin from Philadelphia, Tony Bruno. We really had a game plan for that game, and we're going to do it with the Giants and the Bengals and everybody else coming up after that. Hank Bauer was on the call. One of the best special teams players ever to play. Charger legend. He travels around the country, and he gets an opportunity to do games. 
And I saw him in the press box, and it was great to see him. He's got a lot of history with the Raiders, with Sports USA as the national color analyst. He'll join us next. And wouldn't you know it, they run the rookie. Gainwell. Ball's out. Ball's out. Down. Ball came out. Raiders say they've got it. Let's wait. There's the signal. Raiders have recovered the turnover. The rookie turns it over. Jonathan Abram. He was the first to hit the running back. And Jonathan Abram is having a whale of a game. Brett Musburger on the call. We play Billy Joel because they announced Billy Joel at Allegiant Stadium. Come and build it and they will come. One of the highlights for me yesterday was running into longtime friend, great legendary football player, Hank Bauer, who was on the radio call nationally for Sports USA, floating around the Al Davis torch and hanging with the Raider Nation. How are you, Hank? JT, man, what a day. <laughs> what a day for Raider Nation. Uh, that, uh, that match between that stadium and that city seems to be just about perfect. You know, it just does. I think it fits. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy you said that because you've traveled around, you played in every stadium, you broadcast in 80, every stadium. You could tell, Hank, the connection with Mark Davis, but to his dad, Al Davis, and the torch, and just how it's so much Raiders, the Raider artwork. It doesn't feel generic like a lot of stadiums. It feels like it's the home of the Raiders. Yeah, the, I, I'd say if I had one complaint, mm -hmm. uh, it, it would be, you know, I miss – nothing will ever replace the Coliseum in Oakland to me, sure. you know. And, and, and what I think is missing is, you know, the common person – I don't mean to say the common person in a negative way, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, maybe a lower-income person uh, person could afford to just go and tailgate and be a part of Raider Nation and stuff. Uh, I, I fear that somehow, some way, the NFL might eventually, or maybe in Las Vegas, that, that, that person might be cut out a little bit. You know what I mean? Because I missed walking through the parking lot at, at the Oakland Alameda Coliseum and smelling all the great Cincinnati, right, <laughs> emanating from the tailgate parties. And, 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 and Raider fans, for as crazy as they are, for as passionate as they are, for as committed as they are, you know, I think they get a bad rap. I think that, I think that you know, uh, the brand kind of, kind of um, puts them with the criminal element. And, and that's, not even, that's not even close to being the case. You know, yeah, it's a tough fan base. Yeah, the Raider brand is all about toughness and, you know, uh, th that whole silver and black and commitment to excellence. But I, I, I'm telling you what, I thought coming in, Philadelphia fans, passionate, crazy, right, nuts, mm -hmm. Raider fans, I, I didn't see one, I didn't see one fight. Yeah, I'm happy I, you said I, that. I don't know that I can ever remember going to a game and not seeing at least one fight. I mean, it was just and, and Raider fans and Eagles fans walking in and out, up and down the strip. And oh, by the way, anybody that thinks that the pandemic still—I'm sure it's affecting us, in, affecting you in Las Vegas. 
But I've never seen all my years going there. I've never seen it more crowded. I've yeah. never seen the strip more crowded uh, in Vegas, more crowded than I saw this weekend. Hank Bowers, our guest. Hank, going back to your career against the Chargers, and you had so many Raider friends and players that you competed against who respected you at the highest level. Tell us some early stories about you and Al Davis and some of the Raider players you competed against, the best of the <laughs> toughest, toughest Raiders that you went to battle with and have the biggest memories with. Well, you know, I'll, I'll never forget when I went into coaching after broadcast. You know, I went into coaching right after playing. I broke my neck and had to retire. Uh, so Coryell hired me, and I was, became a special teams coordinator. And we're, we're in the stadium in San Diego, and Al Davis, you know, he would stand there with his – all white, you know, get up, you know, and he'd stand there with his hair greased back and he would just stare at you, right? He would just stare down uh, the opponent, which was, you know, the Chargers that I was coaching. And I'm walking up and down and, and I'm, and, and uh, Chris Barr comes out. Was it Chris Barr? I think it was Chris Barr. Yeah. Comes out to kick field goals and warm up. And I played against him, against him a bunch. So I walked over and I said, went to say hello and congratulate him on a nice long career and stuff. And all of a sudden I hear from the sideline, Hey, Hey, get away from my blinky bleak players. Right. And I looked at him, you know, and to me, look, and I'm a coach, right. And, 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 and it pissed me off. And, and I looked at Al and I went, you know what? <laughs> and he was loud. It was fans could hear it. All the players could hear it. And I stood there and I bit my tongue. Ernie Zampezi looks at me and goes, don't do it. I know what you're going to do. And I go, you're right, Ernie. It took me about 10 seconds. I changed my mind, walked, stormed right over to the Raider bench. And I said, you know what, Al? F you. And, and you can take your Raider bull crap and you can stick it here. And I just cussing him out, you know. I go, you didn't intimidate me as a, as a player. And you're never going to intimidate me as a coach. That said... L came to me after the fact and said, you know what, Hank, I always had great respect for you. And, uh, I didn't, you know, and, and, and we, we made good. L came to me though. And we made good. And from that point on, I went, you know what? I, I really, really respect this guy. Cause he didn't have to do that. Right. And, and, and that, that to me was, you know, that to me was class and, and, and it meant a lot to me. Now, the the one moment I remember in Oakland before before they moved, I guess the first time, right. uh, we put fifty five on the Raiders. Kellen Winslow scored five touchdowns, right? And Dan Fouts was in his like thirteenth or fourteenth year, whatever it was. And the Raiders were moving to LA the first time, right? And and so Fouts, you know, didn't know how much we put fifty five on him. We're behind our bench. And we've been taking crap from the Raider fans Dan had for like 10, 12, 13, whatever years it was, right? And, and I mean, when you're, the, the, guys, the, the fans behind the bench, they, they wanted to make your life miserable. They wanted to make your life miserable. And they, and they didn't care what they said. You know, they're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, your mom and your uncles and your aunts. And <laughs> they, nothing was off limits. And, they were, and so – for years, Fouts took that stuff, and you know you can't you can't respond because it only gets worse. So after after we put the 55, 55th point on, we're in like late third quarter, fourth quarter. Fouts is behind our bench, and he's pointing to the fans, 
and he's yelling, you, you, you can kiss my bleepy bleep, and your mother can bleepity bleep, and, you know, bleep you, and this, that, and everything else. And I look at him and go, what the, oh, what are you doing? Are you nuts? You know? And he goes, and he goes, you know what? I've been waiting 15 years to do this. Okay? We're not, I'm never playing here again. We're never coming back. <laughs> and what I go, a foul Man, story. That's pretty, that's, that, that's pretty smart for Dan Fouts. But but the players, man, I cruised with the twos one night here in San Diego. That's a night I'll never forget. Um, you know, spent spent a lot of time with Matt Millen and and get great respect for him. And ran into George Atkinson and yeah. yesterday and had a great talk. And ran into Freddie Bolitnikoff and he I'm so, he's doing so great. And you know that's the cool thing about about you know still being able to broadcast games. To be able to see guys like JT the Brick and all, all of our old Raider friends and all the guys that, man, we competed, we hated each other, we hated each other's guts, but we respected each other. And, 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 and we hated each other as opponents, not people. Hank Bauer joins us. Hank, you called the game as a color analyst for U.S. Sports. Tell us, USA Sports, tell us what you saw. Is this team, in your opinion, a little overrated because of who they beat or how they've won games, or do you think they're underrated as they get healthier and could be one of the better teams in football? Which team? You're talking about the Raiders? The Raiders, the yeah, the Raiders. I'm talking about the Raiders, what you saw. <laughs> well, you're 5-2, and two, so you are what your record says you are, to borrow a phrase, yep. right? You earned it. First place Raiders by a half game over the Chargers who didn't play because of the bye week. So, you know what? I'll give the. I went through a coaching change when I was a special teams coordinator when Coriel re- resigned, uh, was fired like I don't know four games into into the season, and El Saunders took over. and And I know how disconcerting that can be. I know how you know everybody's looking over their shoulder, everybody's this and that, and and you're wondering and you're wondering you know what the change is going to be. I'll give Rich Bisaccia an amazing amount of credit and Mike Mayock for the continuity that I've seen the last two weeks and, I think, improvement in how they played. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing to go through. Uh, it, it, it's even more weird with the way it came down. But the way the Raiders have handled it, it's been beautiful. It's been seamless. And I'll give a lot of people a lot of credit in that organization. And then to go out and win two games, to win a game on the road in Denver and then come back, and 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 win against a, a team you're supposed to win mm-hmm. against, uh, you know the Eagles, and and to do it, and and when I studied the tape, the thing I I liked about the way the Raiders played, look, they 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 found out that, you know, they they're they're maybe their most talented player, Darren Waller, uh, went down and wasn't able to play, but look at how Foster Moreau stepped up. That catch he made for was a, for the touchdown was amazing. That catch he made was amazing over it over was. the guy's head, uh, and 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 then you know uh, the way Derek Carr played and the leadership he's shown through this through the last couple weeks, he, he goes thirty one to thirty four for three hundred twenty three yards, and the one the one interception was kind of a yeah it was kind of a weird play you know a tipped mm-hmm. ball thrown a little bit behind the running back who we don't know if he was in the right spot or or what he saw but Derek Carr. I, 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 you know, I don't know, I don't know where he's going to take this team, but I love his leadership, and and I know he's got the talent to take this team a long way. Um, so, 
I like what the offensive line look like, and the defensive line plays. I mean, every guy that plays, they play eight or nine guys yeah. up front. And and every guy plays like it's their last play every play, which is not surprising because I've known Rod Marinelli since we were college teammates, and 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 so I think all of those things, solid kicking game, the play Alec Engel made uh, to recover that surprise onside kick was a, a huge play. So I you know I love I loved what I saw with the Raiders. Now it's just you know can you stay healthy? Can you continue mm-hmm. to improve? And oh by the way. Greg Olson, to me, uh, one of the big things in, in the NFL is, as coaches, we get so caught up into game planning and being creative, and you always end up trying to do too much. I'll never forget Ernie Zampezi. Every year that I coached, we get six, seven, eight weeks in the season. He said, well, we just need to pare it down. We need to start simplifying. We're trying to do too much. Let's do less, and let's do it better. Okay? And that, to me, has looked like a little bit like what they've done the last two weeks. There's been no hesitancy, and 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 there's been a lot of confidence and clarity in that offense. And um, the offensive line, you know, made the adjustments. Uh, it helps to have coaches that have been head coaches as as assistants, mm-hmm. which you have three of them. You know, Gus Bradley and Tom Cable and and Wad. Uh, so you got good leadership. I, I it's going to be fun to see where this team ends up. Thank you, Hank. It was great seeing you yesterday. The connection with Dave Sniff, engineering and being my long-term boss back in the day when I got started, him helping you get started. And, you know, you've always been good to me over the years. I hope you get a Raider game coming up soon again and we can see you out here. I do have a Raider game coming up. It'll be the Cincinnati Bengals, who by the way are pretty surprising. So, yeah, I'll be back in Vegas, and I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what the Raiders do over the next few weeks, how much they improve or digress. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see them play against the Bengals, which are surprising. So I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Hank. All the best. Appreciate it. There he is, Hank Bauer. What a player he was. He's one of the greatest special teams players of all time with the Chargers. He told me the story. We were hanging out in the booth before Brent Musburger came in. He had the record for decades of the most touchdowns with the least amount of yards. He played running back for the Chargers, and he scored three goal line touchdowns. So three one-yard touchdowns. One of them was half a yard. And then at the end of the game, Don Coriel, uh, they asked him to take a knee to just run out the clock. So he had three touchdowns for three yards, but he had a loss of four yards on a play, and he became the player, only player in NFL history to have three touchdowns with negative one yard. It was an incredible story. And what the reporter said to him after the game, he's one of the great characters, the Chargers, Legend, kind of like the Chargers, Phil Villapiano. We'll wrap it up for the week coming up next. Stick around. Um, It all starts with the ball. You know, we ended up plus one in the turnover margin. Um, Certainly overcame the interception, which Derek rarely throws, and and uh, and then we had the two on defense. Certainly, one critical one in the red zone uh, gave us a chance to stop them from getting any points. And then right before the half, got the ball to plus thirty, gave us a chance to get points again before the half. Two weeks in a row, um, explosive plays on offense started with Zay Jones on the sideline. Obviously, the big catch that Foster had. Oh, turn it up! Billy Joel announced Allegiant Stadium. 
the night after Metallica. Those are some options. And I'm heading back to Massapequa, Long Island, tomorrow morning. See my parents for the last time in the home I grew up with as they sold it. And they're relocating to Naples, Florida, which I guess will be the next chapter for my family, my sisters and I. And a pretty emotional time to go back and say goodbye to my house that I grew up with for my life. And I've been going back with my kids and my parents' grandkids. And that's what I'm doing Raider bye week. Going to fly out to Oklahoma to see Oklahoma, Texas Tech on Saturday. And then we'll be back in this seat on Monday as the Raiders are back from the bye week. And we will get you ready for the New York Giants and the next big run that the Raiders have left. After the game, the Fox game, which was yesterday, Derek Carr on the field. He had a big media session. We'll uh, play that in a little bit before we get out of here. Thought we had that ready to go. And uh, Carr was fantastic after the game. I thought Carr was literally fantastic before, the week leading up to it, after. Everything that was happening with Derek Carr over the last 10 days were incredible. I mean, the emotions, the highs and the lows, everything that he's been through, and for him to you know to figure out what he had to do to get these games ready and have the game plan perfect, these were perfect game plans. I mean, these were perfect game plans that they had against Denver, and then they come back with the one against Philadelphia. Still concerned with the slow start with Philly scoring and what happened on that play, but for them to come back and then just after the interception put up 30 unanswered, I don't know if you'll ever see anything like that again. And to see it at Allegiant Stadium where I didn't feel the dip in the emotion of the fan base like I did with Chicago. Chicago, that Chicago game just felt like a worst-case scenario. Like there was gonna, nothing was good was going to happen. The Raiders got really outplayed in all three phases against Chicago. And then in the next stage, two more, six more, probably seven out of the eight next quarters. If you take a look at Denver and what we saw with Philadelphia, they outplayed those two teams seven out of eight quarters. Philadelphia outplayed the Raiders in the fourth quarter yesterday, just like Philadelphia outplayed Tampa Bay in the uh, last Thursday, two Thursdays ago, when they lost that game in the fourth quarter. Other surprises, the Niners lost. So I'm on the air last night on SiriusXM, Mad Dog, and the Niners lose. And I tell my producer, you get me Kyle Shanahan's press conference. You get me that press conference. And we played it, and Kyle Shanahan now is going to have rough sledding in Santa Clara. Those fans, those Niner fans, not happy with Kyle Shanahan being smug and his little quarterback fiasco in the offseason. We're not telling you who we're going to draft. We're not going to tell you if Jimmy G is going to start. Yeah, how's that working out for the 49ers? But a great Raider victory, and we celebrated it today. Thanks to Bobby, Harry Ruiz, Hank Bauer, Rich Passaccia interview over at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. And I'm out of here, everybody. Enjoy the week. I'm gone for Raider bye week. I'll be back Monday, recharged, refocused, and ready to go. Keep it here to Raider Nation Radio, all the shows. Guys stepping in for me, the entire lineup, the best in the NFL. Have a great week. We'll see you back and enjoy Raiders bye week.